Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Teal, Creative Director with the Research and Innovation Team. And I've had a few things on my mind lately, and one of those is the fact that the world's only getting more and more technical. So, of course, people with technical skills are in high demand. But while workers flock to information economy desk jobs, organizations in trade industries like energy and automotive are really struggling to fill all their open technical roles. With a shrinking talent pool, many companies are looking in-house or recruiting from non-traditional sources. They're bringing in people from non-technical professional backgrounds and upskilling them to take on technical work. Needless to say, that's easier said than done. Back to talk with us about how organizations can craft a successful technical workforce is Roger Boise, Senior Director of the online technical training platform GPI Learn Plus. After graduating from Maine Maritime Academy, Roger started his career as a naval officer before moving into the private industrial sector. He then spent 30 years in the power generation industry, working his way from frontline technician to corporate executive with responsibility for several power plants. He's been with GP Strategies since 2021, putting all that expertise to use, supporting customers in the technical industries. Roger, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, sir? Hey, uh, Michael, uh, I'm, I'm well. It's uh, nice to be back. Nice talking with you again. And um, yeah, interesting topic for sure. Uh, one that I know is uh, quite popular out there in the, in the industrial world, uh, manufacturing, et cetera. So uh, happy to be back and um, yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, this is a good one. So we do appreciate you taking time for us. So I think one of the, the reasons that we're having you back here is the fact that your team just published a new ebook, which by the way, listeners, you can find on the GP strategies website. Uh, the title is crafting technical talent and Roger quoting from the book, you say the secret to building a technical workforce from people without technical backgrounds is, and, um, and I quote, by the way, harnessing innate human curiosity, teaching technical skills inclusively and structuring a balanced learning environment, end quote. Okay, I don't want people to think I thought of those things, by the way. So I wanna give you full credit there, Roger. I wanted to say this, that that's really good stuff, but for purposes of today's discussion, what I'd like to do is have you break these three things down in, and really discuss those. So starting with number one, which is essentially, you know, people naturally desire to learn and fostering continuous learning keeps them highly engaged and motivated. So, Roger, can you say more about that and reflect on that for us? Yeah, you know, sure, Michael, you know, you know, as I said, continuous learning does keep folks motivated. And most importantly, you know, making it interesting for them is key to satisfying that curiosity and engaging folks to want to understand more. You know, one critical item that, you know, our team does focus on is always looking at, you know, refurbishing content, making sure that it's uh, current and engaging for users. And it's especially important in the fundamentals, because if you're bringing someone into a new uh, technical environment from a non-technical environment, 
if it's if it's not engaging for them, it it's it it's more of a challenge, more of an uphill battle to get them to, I don't want to say buy in, but to to be more excited about continuing right. that process. Right. This is this isn't only it's not the only item that will keep them engaged. You know, uh, it's important also to incorporate that online content, if you will, along with mentorship efforts, uh, okay. detailed learning paths, the classroom training and, the, and a hands-on assessments to fully develop the employees over time, right? That builds teamwork. It challenges people, challenges people to try to learn more, to improve, um, keeps them engaged, right? It's about what comes next, right? And it's not easy for organizations to do this. It, it takes resources and it takes a lot of commitment starting really uh, Michael in the corner office. I, uh, I'll say that hmm. when an organization commits the resources to do this, it leads to improved engaged workforce, and it really does become part of the fabric of that organization. Yeah, that that is uh, you hit on a couple key things there in my mind. Is number one is you're saying the content has to be interesting, even if it's like it's very technical. It has to be something that you know in, in today's TikTok world, right? It's like people don't pay attention to boring stuff. So I'm sure that's that's quite a job that your team is having to constantly look and curate that different bit of content. And, you know, as you also mentioned with those mentorship uh, programs is holding on to that knowledge before, you know, craft workers leave the industry, right? And it's lost in the wind. So you've got a big job ahead of you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 hard to always kind of try to think what people are going to like, right? Because uh, everyone is so different. But I think you just have to. We we look at it as we try to lay information out in a, a digestible way that solves that basic understanding and then allows us to build on it, not just with our content but with other services that GP Strategies does provide, right? To really round out that person or that that group of individuals in the, mm -hmm. in the new workforce. Yeah. So Roger, the, the second thing that uh, we, we introduced earlier is the fact that um, you believe your team believes that technical skills can be taught and developed, right? It's not something you're just born with, even among those kind of like myself who traditionally has come from a non-technical background. And you know what, I, traditionally when I've talked to people just in passing, not in like detailed surveys or anything, what I've usually found is people tend to bucket themselves, right? It's like people are in one of two camps. There are people that go, oh, I'm a technical person. I've got a knack for that. Or, you know, the rest of us who maybe went to a liberal arts school and we're like, yeah, I can't really, you know, make that shift. I'm just not wired that way. So my question to you, though, is, you know, can we really train people to move from non-technical work into the skill trades? Well, we can. We can train people to do that, to move from that non-technical world to a technical world. I think first and foremost is that those individuals themselves have to have at least some type of a desire to do so. You know, if there's okay. not an, uh, if there's not an initial you know, interest or to say again, desire to try to do it, it's going to be putting a, a square peg in a round hole all day long, 
right? So you have to you have to take the individuals that want to, and they are out there. Um, and I think you okay. see that across many industries that there are people applying for jobs in technical industries, um, whether it be automotive or power gen or manufacturing, whatever, because they're looking for some consistency in their work. They're looking for uh, a challenging um, and a sustainable job. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that you find more of that, right? So in, in, today's, in today's world, to satisfy the, the business needs of, of, of bringing those people in, we, we have to show them those potential employees a roadmap, right? We have to say, okay, okay, how do we do that? Give them a roadmap and show them that it is achievable. And then we develop them into what we would classify as technical, provide them that career and growth, you know, that growth potential within in an organization within in an in, in industry, right? It starts with, you know, the basic safety. It starts with then understanding the, the compliance aspects of, of certain jobs, the human performance skills that are common to industrial environments. You know, if you can get someone from a non-technical background to come in and be able to understand, work safe, and understand what they're there to do and the roles that they are and build it for them in a digestible way, it engages them, it builds their confidence along with their skills. And the companies out there, I mean, it's, it, it really does focus a lot on the companies, again, to say, going to provide what they need to assess, to build, deliver the fundamentals that are needed and onto the more advanced skills. We're suited to, to support that for organizations, but the organizations have to understand that that's what they need, right? Training those people in practical application, developing that growth mindset, right? Developing assessments that they can use to follow up and then teaching those softer skills to really build on the the individual, the employee's development over the longer term. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let me double back on one thing here, like specifically when it comes to the blend of training that that your team and the GPI Learn Plus team recommends. When it comes to training, what what kind of blend have you found to be successful in getting someone from a non-technical background to being proficient? What's your thought on that? It's a longer process, right? So it starts really at day one of introducing them to the safety and the compliance aspects of an organization onboarding, right, is is key. And we could talk more about that, but getting them onboarded properly so they have the basic skill sets and tools to understand what they're doing and why they're mm-hmm. doing it is, is important. And then next is giving them those general theory, the general theory and knowledge of the areas where in which they're going to work so that they understand what they're looking at. Then you get them out and they need to touch and they need to, again, be mentored a little bit by others in the organization of, hey, here's the protocols, here are the procedures, right? It all has to start to make sense at that point. And then you then you get them to solo, if you will, so that they're able to do that work on their own. Now you start to introduce more advanced skills or provide them opportunities for advancement in more technical areas, whether that be online training, online theory, 
that we provide at GPI Learn, whether it be classroom instructor-led training, again, that mm-hmm. you know, all of these things GP strategies can provide. On-site trainers where they have equipment that's brought in to help develop skills and, and further along that education. Leadership training to, to develop that frontline skill set that folks need. You know, it really becomes that longer term package from from day one right on right on through the development and and by engaging them in those things and giving feedback is huge because that's what keeps them engaged if you just throw it at them they're not going to you know they're going to do stuff but then they're going to at some point it'll just fizzle out and then what would you say is the the blend of you know technical skills versus soft skills in this whole transitional mix? I'll say it depends on the maturity of what the individual is doing, right? So if you start off in a a technical role, they need to have certain skills of organization and structure and human performance on how to behave and interact, right? Those are, those are skills. Those are softer skills, if you will, that they need to understand as a, as an individual contributor. And then as they maybe advance or develop and advance over time, now they may be responsible for one or two or a small work group or team of individuals Mm -hmm. where now they need to get more of a blend, if you will, of the management type or softer skills that they're going to do. So they have an understanding of a technical background. Now you're starting to blend in more of a managerial world. And then eventually, if they continue to succeed and advance, that then tends to shift. It, it'll be less of the technical and obviously more of the organizational and financial. And I mean, it can it can really depend oh, right. on where the individual takes it at that point. Absolutely. Okay, so once we agree, Roger, to those first two concepts that you know humans are curious and you can actually take people from liberal arts backgrounds and get them to be proficient in a crafts trade and in a skill trade right here. The third element from your ebook seems to kind of follow naturally, and that is implementing strategic technical training and self-guided learning can lead your organization to success. So my question to you is, what does that mean in practice? So in the real world, how do you see that playing out? Michael, it means having a plan, right? Having a plan and then and then working that plan, right? Without a plan, you just have a lot of good training. Then you can flounder about all day long and trying to figure it out. But a number of companies out there that provide training, what we try to do, what we where we try to differentiate ourselves is that we have the content, but more importantly, we focus on solving the planning piece, right? Building that plan within the umbrella of the GP strategies business units, right? We we focus on the general theory, the industry specifics, the hands-on, the skill uh, soft skill development, putting together that roadmap for an employee. It, it then you know it gets supported by um, you know the employer, and that's the key to the success. Again, I, I really can't stress enough that that building the plan isn't the hardest piece of this. Organizations have to commit <laughs> to a plan and then work it, right? If not, you know, most failures that you see of training programs out there, it's that they're not resourced for sustainability. It's either staffing, funding, or in worst cases, both. And yet those organizations still expect to see results that are going to be, you know, wonderful. You know, I've seen it. 
I've heard from other companies. I've you know, especially in my role now, where you talk to a lot of organizations, you know, you hear all kinds of different things. Like we don't have the time to to train, which I get it, right? Everything's built on productivity, on profits, et cetera. I get mm-hmm. that. But you also have those same companies that say that that are spending thousands of dollars recruiting new employees because they can't keep people because they, they failed at providing them a plan, plan providing them a roadmap, um, and they just didn't retain them. The person was like, yeah, whatever. It's just another job. I'll go on to something else, right? It, it's a hard pill to swallow, I think, for some. But you know, when they do, when they understand that that's important and they put the resources there, it just benefits them. It keeps the employees instead of showing turnover after a month, three months, a year. Right, absolutely. You, know, you try to get that development in there, make them part of the culture. Roger, this is yeah. really interesting. One thing that I pulled out of that last bit of conversation is the word resources and that organizations really need to double down and, and make sure they've made a conscious proper investment. Can you talk a little more about what types of resources organizations should be thinking about when helping craft a, uh, you know, technical training for non-technical workers? When I say resources, I think first and foremost, uh, organizations need to make sure that they're staffed accordingly to support any kind of a program that they have, that there's the oversight, that there's the support, that there's those feedback loops that are, are in place so that, you know, so that the managers who are responsible for these employees in the programs aren't left alone out there to try to deal with all of that themselves, from administrative to scheduling to, to providing certain specifics internal to organizations. They have to have those resources in place or else if you just dump it on the, on the manager's laps, um, regardless of industry, those managers are going to prioritize their day-to-day functions and mm. that may not be the top of their list. And, and so you have to have that support loop, that staffing piece in there. I think next thing you have to kind of look at, okay, do we have the content? Do we have the, the courses? Do we have the pieces in which we can provide to the employees? And that costs money, obviously, right? So there's a, a, a money sure. component of that. And, and that's what we provide, right? That's why I were in business, right? So, um, you know, there's that piece of it. And then you take and you look at the specific industry training that's needed, right? You want people to develop, um, to become experts in their jobs, right? If you will, and develop skills. You want to be able to provide diagnostics and and, uh, troubleshooting through either assessments or observations or feedback loops so that, you know, people, when they look at whatever it is, whether it's problem solving, whether it's uh, following protocols, that people understand what it is. So again, you need resources in order to conduct those things properly and to be able to properly provide that kind of feedback. And then again, going back to that path, that resource, developing that path and putting the resources in place of what is that self-guided learning look like, right? How do you get then encourage, empower, get people to focus on what, what else is out there? You've got the basics done. Now, what do you look at? Do you try to engage them in webinars? Hmm. Do you try to engage them in other workshops? Do you try to engage them in, you know, whatever, maybe a conference or maybe it's internally you have conferences or sessions or meetings where you bring folks together 
that all are in the same world, if you will, and talk about their problems, talk about their challenges, talk about what works. You know, I've seen it over my career. When you bring people Mm. together that all have a common, you know, common background (laughs) or common focus and job, talk about, well, geez, I saw that. That was an issue for me. Oh, well, we sat freaking two years ago. You know what I mean? And they may never have known that. Mm -hmm. And again, that takes resources. It takes time. You got to pull people out of production. It takes resources to put them somewhere. If they really focus some time and effort on that, it does make sense to bring people in at times to really have those conversations, to hear what's going on, and then to share, um, you know, share common things. Uh, I just think that's an important piece of it. Absolutely. I hear what you're describing is really, it's a, it's a very much a curation effort of having to have the right staff in place, having those critical path, uh, initial learnings, having troubleshooting and, um, you know, next level moment of need type elements, and then not forgetting the people portion of, of making sure that you're your learning infrastructure has opportunities for social learning and sharing, whether it's on demand or it's in person or webinars. So there's a lot of, lot of different pieces and uh, I can definitely see why you're saying that you need to have the right resources in place here. I wanna just back us up to the very beginning, Roger. And in terms of just starting from like a day one, because you've shared a lot of great things here, um, just help us sequence this thing. So. In your mind, how should organizations onboard people with non-technical backgrounds into technical roles here? So, you know, as uh, as as we were kind of thinking about this, you know, there's more than just teaching them how to operate a forklift, right? Yeah. So it's you know, I think we kind of touched on these pieces, but it's really having a plan, right? It's it's having that plan first. Now you go, okay, let's develop those basics. Let's develop the general theory that they need to perform the tasks that we're asking. Then you start to um, teach them more specific roles uh, and role paths, protocols, procedures, you know, local rules, regulations, more into the compliance piece. Uh, start to give them more real world examples of what they'll see in the field, right? This all becomes part of their plan. Then you support it with assessments and further qualifications, right? A big piece of it is is throughout that onboarding process is providing really timely and focused feedback to individuals you know before you get them or unleash them out into that workforce right you need to give them that feedback so that if you get them started off first you know with with the right tools it can build on it well you have to be able to pivot you know and as an organization you got to be able to pivot a little bit you got to support provide what they need provide that reassurance along the way, you might have to re- rework something or modify mm-hmm. something to fit maybe an individual or group of individuals. The workforce today is way different than it was 15 years ago, which in, it's way different than it was 30 years ago. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying right. it's different. And so you have to have to understand what is different, work through those challenges and, and really try to build that plan, bring all those pieces together. Roger, we've heard you mention safety a few times, and I know as the GPI Learn Plus team often says, every worker deserves a safe workplace. 
but I'm sure it's more than just about keeping everyone safe. So my question to you is, what about, I would call it the dreaded C word, compliance. <laughs> In my desk job, and I'm sure you would empathize as fellow workers here, uh, we've got to do yearly, yearly information, security training, those kind of things. But I imagine technical workers have a lot more to think about when it comes to compliance. So my question to you is, how do organizations make sure their people are following the regulations? You know, Michael, right. Worker safety is always going to be first and foremost for an organization, right? That's most important. Send people home every day in, a, in the way in which they arrive. And yes, right. Compliance is certainly important. It's in a, in a very regulated industrial world. Uh, sometimes it just seems like it gets more regulated in certain uh, businesses and areas. Uh, and companies are focused on ensuring that they're in compliance with safety, health, environmental, other regulatory standards, maybe local, governmental, federal, it goes down the line, right? Certainly that training piece comes first, but you know, that's easy to just say, right? But there's more to it, right? What it is, is understanding in my world, understanding the what and the why, then applying the content and lessons to support that really to try to achieve and maintain compliance, right? If you if you provide that real world example, give them the tools to succeed, have those procedures, protocols and accountability components with the feedback in there, you're kind of building it as part of their day-to-day -day world. So they don't necessarily, it's their daily work then. It's not like you're just being compliant or you're having right. those and trying to make it interesting, right? You know, there's no shortage of regulatory procedures and reporting so you have to you have to do it by blending the training into the standards is one way to ensure it, but make it again part of their daily work. It's not really about fixing errors. It's about that proactive human involvement, right? Human performance, understanding. You know, we don't want them just reacting to accidents or a problem. We want them to know how to avoid the accidents, how to see things before to create that safe work environment. Really, from day one. Um, so we teach learners about that pre-work assessments, self-checking, peer checking, concurrent and independent verification, and a lot of more like what I call general skills that technical folks in a technical world should understand in order to get out there to be compliant, but also be safe. Hmm. You know, that reminds me of when I've had a chance to go to automotive manufacturing facilities and uh, you know going there as more of a creative director and writer thinking about what's the story but having to learn very specific protocols that the uh that the team needs to use in the factory uh even just the the fact of pointing where you want to go uh before you, you you'd make a turn or something like that it's it sounds silly at first but when you do it you realize oh wow not only is that safe but you're giving someone who might be on a forklift a visual cue that you're going in that direction. It's like your blinkers. And, you know, so those are the kind of things that when you said what you said about, you know, it's not about fixing errors, it's about human performance and really hitting home for me. So I can see how that's a lot of, of value on that end, Roger. So I'm looking at my clock here. I know that uh, you're busy. You've got a lot of things going and you've been very gracious with your time. Um, but before we we wrap this this discussion up, Roger, I wanted to also just discuss another aspect, and that is, you know, it's one thing to get folks ready to comply with task-related procedures and operate machinery, 
but you also make the case for formal leadership training in the technical workforce. So how should companies be thinking about leadership development or leader development in the technical work environment? Michael, so look, at it, it really should be part of the plan from day one. People need to learn how to manage themselves, right? Understand how to listen, how to work together in a team environment, right? Those are all skills that develop that leadership quality or leadership traits that you want people to have. Then as they grow, right, they learn how to manage and support others and ultimately lead larger teams and, and organizations. Good workers aren't always good leaders. And you see it in every industry, right? I, I can go down the line. You can, you'll see, you know, it's natural for someone to say, hey, that's the good guy over there or that person over there. You know, she knows exactly how to do all of this super well. She should be the next manager, right? But yet, she has no skill set in it, right? They they promote people based on the quality maybe of being a good technician or being the person who can can get people to get along, but not give them those formal skill sets that they need, right? We need you need to build that into the plan, prepare them for that role, right? It, or else it's a recipe for failure. Skills like team management, uh, conflict resolution decision-making, even change management, those true frontline leadership skills are important, right? And then you go and you say, okay, now that person becomes that individual and they develop those skills. Now you start to look at, okay, what can you then bolt on to that? They then have to have better, or, or I'll say more developed understandings of organizational type of leadership and managing larger groups. Those are all development efforts that as people mature, you hope they do mature through an organization. And you don't see it as much today, but I think if you do it right, and this is, you know, very, it's, people may argue this, but I think if you do it right and you find that right individual who's quick on the uptake, who can understand, who can deliver, if you put them in that right path, you can develop that person in a few years to really take on more responsibility and take on people even if they're coming from a non-technical background, it is more challenging. I'm not going to say that's an easy thing, but it can be done. But again, it really all starts with that plan. And if you've got the plan and they're engaged in wanting to work that plan, you really can develop those people from someone who's right out of a formal education or they come from an industry where they did it for a long time and they've got experience in the workforce, right? You have to look at those qualities that everyone brings and then build on them. And if you find those individuals, I think you can do it. You're not going to need 15 years to put someone into a role like that. I just don't, I don't think you need it. But, you know, again, that might be debatable by some, but I think in today's changing environment, changing organizational world of keeping people for many years, I don't think that they have that advantage. You know, you just don't see it as much. Absolutely. Well, Roger, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for your time. Um, out of curiosity, where can people find more information about GPI Learn Plus? Yeah, hey, look, thanks again, Michael. Uh, I appreciate the time, all the stuff we discussed. I really do. Reach out to us. You can find us at you know gpstrategies.com uh, slash GPI Learn. Uh, that'll engage our team. And then you know we can take it from there and figure out what you need. All right. On behalf of all the non-technical listeners out there, thank you so much, Roger. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable.
You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.